Thank you for tuning us in as we uh, pay tribute to uh, our 9-11 and as we remember the many lives that were lost uh, during that time. Today, as we honor those uh, from 2001 of 9-11, a day to remember, here today, September the 10th, 2023, the 24th of Elude, 5783 of the Hebrew calendar. We want to talk about the sacrifices of first responders. I'm glad uh, Pastor Keith Dempsey did a great job preaching to us uh, in uh, Bethel Crossroads this morning. It was a wonderful message, and it was a message that honored all of our first responders. And they had uh, a, a variety of officers, police officers, and uh, our emergency, and all of the people that are first responders, uh, firefighter. And what a wonderful service that it was. Here for our message, the sacrifices of first responders. As we look and we begin to realize that, you know, there, there are certain days that for whatever reason are burned into our hearts and minds and always they're going to be uh, on us no matter how much time passes by. We're always going to reflect of where you were at when the tragedies of your life uh, take place. And so every one of us, as we look and realize, I remember I didn't know if I would even be able to preach uh, because of after what devastation that I saw uh, from 9-11. I just started uh, pastoring at People's Valley, and uh, I was working at Sekisui Juicy, a Japanese uh, company. And, uh, man, it was the most devastating thing to see where we were being attacked on our own soil. And so here this evening... As we look at the sacrifices of first responders, each and every one of us, God's never asked the unsaved world to sacrifice anything, but he has said that we're to be believers or to be willing to sacrifice, and that is a commitment to all Christians. Uh, Luke chapter 9, verse 23, Jesus said, if any man will come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross daily and follow me. And so uh, C.T. Judd, the famous missionary to China, India, and Africa once said, if Jesus Christ is God and died for me, then no sacrifice can be too great for me to make for him. And so every one of us, we're going to be talking about uh, how sacrifice has its profession, sacrifice has its requirements, and sacrifice has its purpose. As we look and open up uh, this morning, let's take a time of prayer. Father, we're so thankful for the many out there that are the ones that respond to emergencies. They're the ones that if we're in a difficult time, they're coming to help us. They're the ones we can depend on. They're the ones, Father, that have always been there in case of emergency for our uh, city, our county, our state. They're the ones that come to the rescue. And Father, we're so thankful as we pray, pay tribute to all of those first responders through this message, and God, as we honor them, as we reflect back on 9-11 and the many lives that were lost during that time, Father, I pray that you'll touch our nation as we continue to go forward, and Lord, that through our pastors, through all of our churches, that you'll bring us back stronger than ever to continue to do the work of the Lord, that we're connected, that we're focused, and that we're working together as a nation to make this nation not only a better place, but stronger each and every day. I pray, God, that if there's somebody that's listening to this message, 
Father, that don't know Jesus Christ, I pray this will be the time, the day, and the hour that they will accept you and ask you to come into their heart and life. In Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen. Well, as we look at the sacrifices of first responders, we're reminded of one of the ultimate sacrifices because in 1940, uh, a Polish military officer named Wiltold Pilekic, uh, Pilecki, Wiltold Pilecki, uh, let himself get arrested by the Nazis so that he could be sent to Auschwitz of one of the concentration camps. And at the time, the world didn't realize all of the horrors that were going on in those concentration camps. But Pilecki reported eventually revealed it all. He spent nearly three years as a spy in the camp before escaping. People like Pilecki are celebrated because they willingly sacrificed for a greater cause. And Paul told the Roman believers that Christians are also called to live as a sacrifice. As we look at uh, Wilto Pilecki, how that he sacrificed so much. And so one of the things that he said is during the first three years at Auschwitz, two million people died. And over the next two years, three million. Can you imagine? I had the opportunity to be around a flag that was taken off of this camp. And as soon as I was in the room close to it, as if all of the demons and all of the, the darkness in the world were uh, embodied into that flag. It had their crest upon it as well. And I've never felt such an evil in my presence as I did in that flag. And so here, Paul addressed ways that God's mercy and grace should be addressed in the life of the body of Christ. And so every one of us, as we look at the sacrifice that has its profession, each and every one of us, the sacrifices of the first responders. One of the first things that we see is sacrifice has its profession. And in this, we begin to look at and begin to realize that there's a devotion that is urged, that we present our bodies to God as a living sacrifice. And so when we look at the word of God, Paul says, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, oh, so holy, oh, so acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. Now, as we look at these verses, especially as we get more and more into them on the day to remember, he tells us, he says, uh, beseech. In other words, it means to comfort. It means to encourage uh, someone. By the mercies of God, Paul would just summarize God's mercies both to the Jews and the Gentiles. And based on that mercy uh, and grace, Paul urged his readers to respond appropriately. Based on that mercy and grace that were to respond, Paul framed that appropriate response using the language from the Jewish sacrificial, sacrificial system. Paul, as he uses this figuratively, uh, Paul referred to himself as ministering the gospel so that the Gentiles might be accepted uh, by uh, their own sacrifice by the Holy Ghost. And so here we look as he uses the words to qualify the type of sacrifices that we're to offer. He says living. He says holy. 
He says, acceptable unto God. The sacrifice that Paul urged was not one that died as it was given, but one that was being kept offered as long as the person offered it was alive. It meant to be separated from the world, consecrated to God. Such a sacrifice would be pleasing to God. And so here we see that as he translated reasonable service, it's difficult to translate, but he's talking about here uh, that we're to be rational, reasonable. Paul's point seems to be that we're offering our bodies uh, to God as sacrifices that are appropriate to a, a spiritual worship. And so when we look and we begin to realize that we offer ourselves, amen, that he says you, your devotion is urged. You present your bodies to God. But also he's talking to us, he says, as we offer ourselves, and be not conformed to this world, but be you transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. He says, be not conformed to this world. He says, be transformed. And so here we see the people of profession, those first responders, the people according to verse 1, that brethren, he says that are mentioned a moment ago, God's call for sacrifice is that not to the world, the only sacrifice he expects from the unsaved man is the sacrifice of his own will. But once we trusted Christ as our Savior, we're no longer our own. We belong to him. And Paul referred to himself as a servant, as a bond slave of Christ. And so we live in a time of easy believism in the world. Very few Christians today understand the word sacrifice. And it's a very little commitment, very little dedication. But there's a whole lot of it. But of course, as we live, how that we determine the way that which we choose. And so on that day, those first responders were coming out of safety zones into harm's way. And they knew that once they went up those stairs, they were never coming back ever again because they were sacrificing. They were devoted. And they came there as a people of the profession. Hallelujah. A day to remember. And so here we've got to understand that not only have we been called to salvation, but we've been called to sacrifice the people of the profession, the people of that profession based on that profession. And so every one of us, when we look and realize that the mercies of God, the basis of our profession is everything God gives to us or does for us is rooted in his mercy. Our salvation, our home in heaven, our provision, our daily blessings, amen. And so it's the Lord's mercies that we're not consumed because his compassions fail not. They're new every morning. Great is thy faithfulness, amen. Jesus has every right to call us to a life of sacrifice. We owe him. What he has done for us makes me want to sacrifice for him. And so uh, for the years of the church and all of the struggles that goes on, I wonder how many people really know what sacrifice is all about. When I went on the mission field, boy, we sacrificed. When we went into community, every one of us gave up our own water for those kids to drink. so And when it was over, we had none until we could get back to the compound. We were so thirsty. We were so tired of all the long days. But it was a time of sacrifice that we went in after doing all that labor, doing the, the foundation of the church and tying in the rebound and pouring concrete and begin to uh, uh, do our devotions we begin to go out and do vacation Bible school after a long day's work. 
There's a lot of people, they don't know what a sacrifice is. But those men and women that were going that day up those stairs to help all of those areas, those ones on the plane, they knew what sacrifice was. And so here, every one of us will begin to realize that how truly blessed that we are uh, as we look at our life that we can offer ourselves. President Reagan said, if we ever forget that we're one nation under God, then we will be a nation going under. And that is so true. And so we see the sacrifices of those first responders. And that was a sacrifice has its profession. Whether you're a firefighter, whether you're a police officer, whether you're uh, uh, one of those emergency uh, uh, people in the ambulance, amen. Uh, whether you're a doctor or a nurse, amen. Whether whatever first responder that you do in the medical field that is helping people, you are a blessing because you know what sacrifice is. Sacrifice has its profession. And so we see that, uh, secondly, that sacrifice has its requirements, amen, because we're told to love sincerely without hypocrisy in verses 9 and 10 that we're going to read. We're told to serve the Lord in verse 11. We're told to conquer our trials in verse 12. We're told in verse 13 to meet needs unselfishly. And so we're to present our bodies as a living sacrifice. Sacrifice as its requirements, amen. And so when we begin to look and realize that the word of God says in verse 9, let love be without dissimulation, abhor that which is evil, cling to that which is good. And so every one of us, we begin to realize that the very word sacrifice it infers that there are some serious requirements, amen. And that is, first, our bodies are to be presented in a holy manner, amen. And so I'm glad that Paul said in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 7, he says, for God hath not called us unto uncleanness, but unto holiness. And so I'm glad that we've got to live faithfully. Let love be without dissimulation. Abhor that which is evil. Cleave to that which is good, amen. But I'm glad also that he tells us as our social actions, amen. Every one of us, he says, be kindly affectionate one to another with brotherly love and honoring, preferring one another. How in the world are we able to do this sometimes? How are we able to go forward and to be able to be kindly toward the many that don't want to be kind? How many police officers have really had to, uh, uh, somebody that was a criminal that had done something, but they still had to take care of them and take them to the hospital and take care of their needs and meet their needs because that is the only person that they've got uh, that's work looking out for them. And so we live authentically, amen, that we live faithfully is what he's talking about. Let love be without dissimulation. After dealing with the use of gifts within the church, Paul turned his attention to the topic of love. And brother, if you're a first responder, there's got to be some love somewhere in you. Jesus ranked the love of God and the love of the neighbor as the most important commandments in Mark chapter 12, verses 30 and 31. And the love that the believers had for one another was the sign by which the world would know that they were Jesus' disciples. That was a sign by which every one of us were the ones that belong under salvation, that have been changed by the blood shed on the cross of Calvary. Paul assumed that Christians would love since the love of God is shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Spirit. 
And so the believers in Rome were urged to make sure this love was without dissimulation. Other words, love must be more than a pretense or an outward action that it does not reflect the nature of God. Paul followed up two more exhortations. He said, abhor that which is evil and cleave to that which is good. And so abhor was used to express the exceptionally harsh emotion. Believers are to strongly reject anything God's word said is evil. And so the good uh, to which believers are to cling probably echoes good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Amen. And so Paul unpacked a genuine love that looks like the, the, the qualities that Paul would give to a list of the fruit of the Spirit over in the book of, of Galatians chapter 5 verses 23 and 22 and how that, that list would go on. Amen. Many of us have no idea what it's like uh, uh, to be a first responder. Sometimes you, you go out and you don't even know if you're coming back home after you leave out. And so we realize that love with the respect to brotherly love, that we warmly are to be devoted to each other. Genuine love, that's a devotion and affection that we should have for one another. Growing out of the genuine affection for one another, believers are called on to honor and to prefer one another. Amen. And so rather than seek recognition or favored positions, amen, genuine love will lead believers to work diligently at praising the achievement of others. Hallelujah. And so here we begin to look and we realize that uh, as we go on in verse 11 of our social actions, of our spiritual actions, that we're to live faithfully. He says, not slothful in business, fervent in spirit, serving the Lord. And so the two commandments in this verse are related to each other. The Greek word translated business was used to describe the eagerness in discharging a duty or responsibility as first responders always do. Amen. I'm glad they've been trained to handle these situations, to do and to go above and beyond what a normal citizens are dealing with on a daily basis. And so they're not to be slothful. And by Jesus as one of his parables to describe an evil, a lazy servant over in Matthew chapter 25, verse 26. Paul did not specify the object of their zeal, though that we should probably understand it to be either our true worship, the genuine love that a believers are to pursue. Paul gave the instructions to the Galatians and let us not be weary and well doing for in due season. We shall reap if we faint not in Galatians uh, chapter six, verse nine. And so, the second commandment that was the idea of being zeal is fervent in spirit, amen, uh, as it translated literally to mean boil or to, uh, as it was used in Acts to describe Apollos the, the, that referred to a spiritual fervor, that it referred to being fervent in the Holy Spirit. Assuming that Paul was referring to the Holy Spirit, that we could paraphrase his command, be set on fire by the Holy Spirit. And the command in this as well was that we're to be seen as a correction to the unbridled enthusiasm for the spirit that leads to the kind of, of uh, grandstanding as going in into the church at Corinth that Paul sought was to be expressed in the service to God. Hallelujah. Not softwood in business, fervent in spirit, serving the Lord. Hallelujah. But he says rejoicing in hope patient in tribulation, continuing instant in prayer. Amen. 
Boy, I'm glad, each and every one of us, that when we look and we begin to realize that the exhortations on this verse that flow uh, from first to last as believers were called to rejoice in hope. Man, that ought to make somebody shout. Because if you ain't got no hope, you ain't got nothing. But praise God, Paul had earlier urged believers to rejoice with him, to rejoice in hope, the glory of God, back in Romans chapter 5, amen. And believers are able to rejoice because of the hope of our salvation and our glorious inheritance one of these days, amen. And so the path to the final manifestation, amen, that every one of us of God's glory, hallelujah, is filled with suffering sometimes. You're going to have some ups and you're going to have some downs. And so the context of tribulation that believers must endure, our ability, hallelujah, is to patiently endure the suffering uh, uh, that's contingent on the degree to which we persevere in our prayer life. Oh, man, you're having a tough time. When was the last time you prayed? When was the last time you called on God and said, God, I can't handle this anymore, but God, with your help, I've got some hope, and I can rejoice in that hope. Hallelujah. And so every one of us, Paul reveals to the degree to which he was dependent on prayer, and we can rejoice in our hope even in the midst of tribulation when we're faithful in our prayers. He said continuously, instant in prayer, praise God. And so he goes on, distributing to the necessity of the saints, given to hospitality. Mm. I'm glad that here that distributing was something that translated fellowship. And the word could have described as here participating in the needs of other believers as Paul charged those believers in Ephesus to work hard in order uh, to have uh, something to share with those in need. Amen. And so every one of us, Paul's uh, exhortation was not only uh, distributing, but also hospitality, because hospitality was the process by which a stranger became a guest, and it was important. Southern hospitality is what we're known for, amen. In Paul's time, because of the lack of safe, clean, and inexpensive places where the traveler could eat and sleep, the church depended on hospitality to care a traveler. They did uh, brought them on in to feed them and to have a place to stay. And uh, as the evangelist, and I remember back in the day when uh, they'd have a visit and evangelist, and he'd stay with somebody in their house and eat with them, praise God, and they'd take care of that evangelist, and they'd support that evangelist, amen. And the church would come together, and some would cook a meal, and they would all go over there and eat together, praise God. And believers were not just to take advantage of those opportunities for hospitality. They came that way, and they were to go out that way and the minister to those travelers. Our new life in Christ changes the way that we look at the world, including how we allocate the resources that God has placed in our care. We've been changed by Jesus' work on the cross, amen? And we are being transformed by the renewing work of 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 the Holy Spirit and our new life in Christ changes the way that we look at the world, including how we allocate the resources, amen, uh, that God has placed in our care. And so I'm glad that every one of us has got a purpose of what we're to do every single day, amen. And that is, first, our bodies are to be presented in a holy manner. Secondly, our bodies are to be presented in an acceptable manner, amen. I'm glad the book of Malachi, God condemns his people because they had presented to him sacrifices that were less than the best. 
and yet brought that which was torn, brought that which was lame, brought that which was sick, and thus they brought an offering. Can you imagine that they brought the less, lesser of what they had uh, there? Oh, my goodness, and wanted to pass it off to the Lord's offering as a sacrifice? Listen, every one of us, God has blessed us so tremendously. I asked you, do you think God has changed his requirements for the sacrifices today in America? Do you think that he's pleased with less than our very best? Then why is many Christian offering him a pitiful effort, a powerless life, a partial offering, a polluted mind, a proud heart? What's happening out there today? Oh, I'll tell you, F.B. Meyer said one time, what hinders you from giving Christ your all? Throw it off and reduce the things that weigh you down. And he went on to say that thousands of Christians are like waterlogged vessels. They cannot sink, and yet they're saturated with so many inconsistencies and worldlinesses and little permitted evils that they can only be stowed with difficulty into the celestial port. And it's sad the way America uh, does things today. And so God would have us to be holy. God would have us to do the right thing, every one of us, that we're to present our bodies acceptable in all that we do, and our bodies to be presented purposeful in our matters as well. Jesus said, it's our purposeful service uh, that we make these sacrifices. And so all that he's done for us, amen, I'm glad before we look at all of this, we're reminded, uh, before I go into my last point, of John Fawcett, pastor of Waynesgate Baptist Church, amen, uh, that uh, here was uh, a pastor that was uh, was in a small, very poor congregation that was barely able to pay him a living wage. And since he was talented, since he was a dynamic preacher, he eventually received an offer to be a pastor of a large, affluent church in London. It was a great opportunity for him, but it presented a problem. He dearly loved that congregation in Waynesgate, and it was breaking him and his wife's heart to leave. And after him and his wife had packed away all their belongings, members of the congregation came to see him off. During that tearful farewell, Mary Fawcett said to her husband, John, I cannot bear to say goodbye. And he thought for a moment, he said, neither can I. These are our people. These are our family here we will stay no matter what the cost. And they unpacked the wagon. And John Fawcett spent his entire 54-year ministry serving this one church. Years later, as he reflected on his decision to stay, he wrote these words. He said, before our Father's throne, we pour out our ardent prayers, our fears, our hopes, our aims, all one, our comforts, and our cares, unquote. You know what? When we look at these words and all that he said, oh, I tell you, the thing that binds our hearts in Christian love and fellowship, our minds, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit dwell in unity. Amen. And in that unity, John Fawcett was saying that when we live together with one another in unity, it's like heaven on earth. I'm glad one of my sayings when at uh, People's Valley that I'd left from after almost 22 years was this. And I got it when I was in seminary. Together we're becoming one spirit. And the reason that the Lord gave me that for that church and that model is because if you don't have unity, you don't have nothing. 
if you don't have the body of Christ that will stick together and agree on uh, uh, together, uh, doesn't matter about politics when it comes to the body of Christ. It doesn't matter about government when it comes to the body of Christ. We stick together. We're unified. And that's the only way that you can overcome the devil and the enemy that comes against the people of God. Hallelujah. You've got to have a unity. You've got to have a togetherness. And sacrifice has its profession. And I'm telling you, every one of you, that when we look at our lives today, that the sacrifices of our first responders of what they do, amen, that it has its profession in verses 1 and 2, 9 and 13, its requirements. But lastly, sacrifice has its purpose in verses 14 down to verse 18 that we see. Bless them which persecute you. Bless and curse not. And so when we look, Paul turned the attention from a proper perspective on life within the body to the proper way to relate to outsiders. Paul admonished believers to bless them which persecute you. You bless and you curse not. And so to bless someone is to call down God's gracious action in that person's life. Amen. Uh, to curse someone is to call on God to punish that person, especially by bringing disaster upon him or her. And so we have no record of any uh, state-sponsored uh, persecution uh, uh, against the Christians in Rome at the time Paul wrote this letter. So Paul must have been addressing the exclusive and the pressure that was often part of the daily life for a Christian because on his missionary journeys, Paul often uh, uh, part of the daily life for the church uh, as a missionary uh, encountered persecution. And so Paul's advice echoes the words of Jesus. Love your enemies. Bless them that curse you. Do good to them that hate you. And pray for them which despitefully use you and persecute you. In Matthew chapter 5, verse 44. Boy, I've had people leave things on my answer machine that was totally nasty uh, in days past. Boy, I tell you, a lot of people, they, they don't know what it's like to be a servant. They don't know what it's like to be a first responder. Oh, but I'm glad what Brother Keith Dempsey said, that Jesus is our first responder. I, I told Brother uh, uh, Pastor Keith later, I said, man, that was a great message, man. He, uh, because he said, Jesus is our first responder. And I'm glad that he was. He went to the cross and responded to our needs. And man, I told him, man, that's a great message. And so every one of us, Believers who are sensitive to the joys and the sorrows of fellow believers ensure a sense of intimacy that spells well not only to those that in their bodies uh, that we keep on rejoicing because some of us are going to have some really tough days. Some of us are going to have some really tough times uh, that we're going to go through. And, and so we're going to need somebody that's going to respond on our behalf. And we've got to be at peace about that. And so every one of us, when we look and we begin to realize that God wants to give us the very best, and he did when he went on the cross of Calvary. He was that first responder, as Pastor Keith said. And so uh, it pays uh, no attention to the pain and the hurt in the life of a brother or sister because Paul made a similar point that when addressing the Corinthians, whether one member suffer, all the members suffer with it. Or one member be honored, all the members rejoice with it. In 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 26. Bless them which persecute you, and bless and curse not. Rejoice with them that do rejoice. Weep with them that weep. And 
be of the same mind one toward another. Mind not high things, but condescend to men of low estate. Be not wise in your own concept, conceits. And so, every one of us be of the same mind one to another. Here is used to call the Philippian believers to think the same way because the goal is not to agree on every point, but to approach each issue with a renewed mind, sensitive to the needs of others. The biggest obstacle to this type of mindset is pride because he says, mind, not high things. The phrase is translated, don't be social climbers. Rather, Paul urged believers to condescend to men of low estate. And so he's talking about every one of us to accommodate uh, the situation or the circumstance that we're placed in the responsibility on the believer, whatever it is, that we would be there to help them, to be a responder to them in their less fortunate times, amen. The attitude that will keep us from thinking more of ourselves than we ought to think of ourselves, amen. And so I thank God. He goes on in verse 17, recompense to no man evil for evil, provide things honest in the sight of all men. And so Paul turned an eye toward the believer's attitude toward outsiders because the call is uh, to forego retaliation can be found in several places in the New Testament. Paul gave us uh, a similar instruction to the Christians in Thessalonica. See that none render evil for evil unto any man, but ever follow that which is good both among yourselves and to all men in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 verse 15. And so these teachings echo Jesus' instructions in the Sermon on the Mount. Rather than insisting on an eye for an eye, believers were told not to resist someone's doing evil to them. But the counterpoint to refusing to retaliate is the positive command to think of others. Provide things honest in the sight of all men, he says. And so he goes on and he tells us that we're to be at peace if it be possible as much as life in you live peaceably with all men. And so here, every one of us, as we try to do that, as Paul acknowledged the hostility of, of a part of living the Christian life, and that hostility will be beyond the control of the believer. But Paul warned believers not to use that tension as an excuse to create more tension. Believers are to do everything within their power to live peaceably with all men, amen. And so we're to focus that attention and so uh, water, it is heated, it becomes turbulent, and it gives up its dissolved air in the form of bubbles. And then the inner molecule hydrogen bonds begin to break apart, and the molecules of water change from liquid to vapor form. And, and, and so uh, uh, as that happens, the vapor uh, coalesces into the vapor, the water vapor bubbles, escaping into the atmosphere, until the force of the atmosphere is caused by gravity is overcome and the bubbles escaping and it aids to the turbulence of the water. And we call this ever increasing turbulence, bringing water to a rolling bowl. Well, you know what? Every one of us, when we look at our lives, is it possible as much as possible that we, uh, life in you live peaceably with all men. And so, Bless those that persecute you, in verse 14, he said. Show genuine interest in the experiences of men. Seek harmony and uh, uh, associate with the lowly, in verse 16. Live above reproach, in verse 17. But lastly, 
Live at peace with all, he's saying. And so every one of us, the danger in conforming is to be not conformed to this world, amen. And so our text, uh, as we look and as we get ready to go our separate ways, I want to give you an application to all of this that we see. And that application is how can we strengthen our commitment to unity? Together we're becoming one spirit. We need to make sure that we're all moving in the same direction. Which direction am I talking about? I'm talking about the direction of holiness. That's what Paul said. As first responders, them guys removed in the direction toward action. They went to where there was a cry for help, where there was a need. We need to make sure we're all moving in the same direction. And the direction is what? He says holiness. He says what? He says that direction of obedience. He said what? The direction of love. Amen. He said what? The direction of unity. Hallelujah. The direction of Jesus Christ is what he's talking about. And so Paul talks about the common direction, the common purpose, amen, that he says that we're looking at these gifts to serve the church, amen, and to serve one another. And God wants us to have that shared vision. And that vision is that we serve together. We worship together as one. And so, what did John Fawcett say with those words? He says, before our Father's thrones, we pour out our ultimate prayers, our fears, our hopes, our, uh, our aims, our one, and our comforts, and, and our cares, he said. And so, what he's saying is that we're not so different after all. That the truth of our church today, the most part of us, is that we're the same thing. Our fears, our hopes, our aims are one. And the majority of us, there may be a few cantankerous holdouts among us out there somewhere, but the majority of us of the church that were faithful followers of Christ, that we grow to walk with him, we move in the direction of holiness and obedience that we do his will. And we want to make a difference in the world around us. And we want to get along with one another. We live by the words of the Apostle Paul. If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. That's our shared vision. The direction that we need to be moving, that we always agree on everything all the time, that's not going to always happen. Because, listen, what do you do? We all try to agree with one another, but I'm going to tell you, every detail may be something where we try to work out our differences in the spirit of love. And so, every one of us, when we look and realize not only do we need to make sure that we're all moving in the same direction, we need to be willing to look out for one another. Sometimes the worst thing about going through hard times is that feeling that you're going through them alone. You're all by yourself. You know, uh, maybe you uh, have lost your job. Maybe you're feeling like a failure in your career. Maybe uh, your family, specifically a husband or wife, you blame him or she blames you or you blame her uh, with everything. And it's been more uh, uh, if you'd been more successful at work, we wouldn't have downsized. If we had managed the money better, the family would have prepared to endure the coming months. All the serious things of trying to be a good father, a good mother, a good family man, a better solution fast. But you know what? We feel like we're all alone and there's no one else in our corners. And there's no reason that a believer should feel this way. Listen to me. We need to be willing to look out for one another. And Paul said every one of us that each other's burdens is this way that we fulfill the law of Christ. Therefore, uh, we can't solve everybody's problems, but there are times 
when we can help them carry the load. Many times carrying that load means first and foremost that we let them know that we're there, we're here, and we care. Whether they're unemployed, whatever they're going through, they hold on to that they're not alone. Amen. That's why Paul said in verse 13, share with people who are in need. And I'm going to tell you, rejoice with those who rejoice and mourn with those who mourn, he said. And so every one of us, if you look to the left or you look to the right, when you go through your normal day, the idea is to be that person that can help those in their struggle and their hurt that feels lost and alone, forgotten and afraid. They need to know that collectively we will do what we can to help them carry the heavy load. And so that's what believers do. That's what churches do. That's what we share with each other, the burdens that they don't have to carry them alone, amen. And so every one of us, all the areas that we're in, thirdly, we need to take every opportunity to develop lasting relationships. I thank God uh, as... Uh, as, as a church family, that we come together with an opportunity to serve one another and take time to be able uh, to put our good skills to use. There's always a good reason to help somebody uh, in all of the shapes and sizes of our church families uh, where somebody feels like uh, they're not doing, uh, they're not uh, able to to, to develop that relationship, you need to be able to be in a church family and an outfit of a group that loves you. And so, how can it happen? We have hospitality. And so, every one of us, when we go through life, that we need to be able to develop lasting relationships. Because Paul said in verse 13, practice hospitality. And that includes welcoming others into your home welcoming others into our home uh, within those four walls. It can begin with a simple habit. When you see someone you don't know and you don't know that they're new, you go over to them in the service and you sit on that side of the room only just to say, hi, I don't know you yet, but my name is so-and-so. And that's the first step to telling our community and reminding one another that we're friendly, we're a loving church, that we talk to one another, amen, and that we help each other. Mark Zuckerberg, one of the creators of Facebook, uh, made news a while back when he said that he wants Facebook to focus on developing communities. And so a lot of people blasted him for the comments and all, but Facebook is not uh, my church. Mark Zuckerberg's not my pastor and so on. But you know what? That's true. Facebook shouldn't be anyone's church. But Mr. Zuckerberg recognizes something that many churches have felt the grass. People need community and they'll go where they'll get it. And people need relationships, and they'll build them where they can. And if we're doing our job, people won't need an online platform to feel connected. No one who has been uh, anywhere will feel the need to turn to Facebook if they'll be in a church. Come to Bethel Crossroads, and they'll make you feel right at home. Because I thank God they're a loving family. Go to a church and try out the one down on the corner somewhere. Our goal is to live out our faith as Paul challenged us because in verse 10, he said, be devoted to one another in brotherly love. Honor one another above ourselves. We want our neighborhood. We want our community. We want our cities to know that this is what we're about. We're committed to building deep-hearted relationships with one another that'll last a lifetime. 
That's what the sacrifices of first responders did. And so every one of us, it's not just that we love each other because we have to love each other. It's that we choose to like each other because we want to like each other. And so as I close out, as I come down to the very last, as we look at the sacrifices of our first responders, amen, and realize all those years ago, the sacrifices that they paid the ultimate price as they ran into those buildings, as they forced that plane down, uh, you know, everything that Paul wrote, he talks about the need for unity and that God uh, does not take it lightly because Jesus prayed that we would be one. And as one with the Father, that means unity needs to be the priority for us. We may not always see eye to eye on every issue, but we can still embrace one another heart to heart. Why? Why? Because we're devoted to one another. We're moving in the same direction. We share one another's burdens. We're committed to building a deep-hearted relationship that lasts a lifetime. We don't just love each other because we have to love each other. We like each other because we want to like each other. Life is better when we're connected. So we need to devote ourselves to one another. And so I thank God as we close out and remember that every one of us and our sacrifice, like Jesus, we'll have no problem with sacrifice because that's what Jesus was about. When it comes time to go to church, when it comes time to read our Bible, when it comes time to go to visitation, when it comes time to go to the prayer room to help uh, with whatever uh, time of the season and holiday at church, amen, to be able to cook, to be able to do, amen, we remind ourselves that we're responsible to be a sacrifice of first responders. We do it for Jesus. We do it for others. And I'm glad each and every one of you, let me ask you something as it goes back to this time. Are you ready to die, to surrender, to live? Is your hope in God or is it yourself? What are we doing to advance the message of Jesus in our own community and around the world? Our life is vanishing quickly. So make a decision today to surrender your life completely, hoping in through tragedy and triumph that Jesus can do what no one else can. Father, thank you for the message. And Lord, I pray that you'll touch someone that they would be that first responder that is committed to sacrifice themselves for somebody else to bring a lost sinner into the family of God before it's too late. In Jesus' marvelous, mighty name, amen. God bless you.